0: The reading this morning is taken from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 9, and I will be reading from verse 2 to the end of verse 7. If you are using a pew Bible, it it can be found on page 693. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this." This is the Word of God. Just
1: a few words uh, by way of introduction to this passage. And before I even do that, just an appreciation of the the worship here and the the leading of the worship. I think I've mentioned to you once that I've traveled around different churches, and it's amazed me how often there is no intercession, um, no no prayer for the world or whatever. So I greatly appreciate the preparation of your intercession for the world, for the church, and for our lives. Um, And as we think about this passage, and as we think of coming to uh, up to Christmas once more, we're reminded of the fact that this was just something so shocking to the Jewish nation and to the world that God would step into time. Because for 400 years there had been silence from heaven. And I don't know how you cope with silence from God, but uh, sometimes at, at the times when we most need God to speak and be close to us, it seems as if he's farthest away. That's what C.S. Lewis experienced when his wife contracted cancer and ultimately died. He said, there are times when I feel God's presence when I'm worshiping God with the people in, in the church and singing God's praise, but at the time when I most needed Him, all I could hear was a closed door with bolts on the inside. And I'm sure the Jewish nation must have felt that through their 400 years uh, where God was silent. But all of a sudden, he broke that silence and stepped into time, and Jesus was about to be born. And so this movement towards the coming of God in, in human history. I was reading the story of uh, the uh, Episcopal Bishop. He's no longer the Episcopal Bishop of Colorado, but he was. Uh, his name's William Frey. And when he was... Um, when he was training for the ministry he he earned some extra money by looking after a young man who was completely blind who was studying for a degree and he used to go and help him find his books and and read things for him and help him around. And one day William Frey said to this young man, he said, John how did you lose your sight? How did you lose your, your your vision? And he said, well I was in a chemical lab and there was an explosion totally unexpectedly, and immediately I lost my sight, and William Frey said, well, how did you feel about that? And he said, I felt absolutely enveloped in bitterness and anger that that this should happen to me. And he said, well, how did you eventually, how how did things change? And he said, well, for about six months, I hardly left my room at home. But one day, my father came up to me, uh, up to my room and said, look, uh, John, we need to get the shutters around the house for the winter. And I would like you to do that for me. The shutters are down in the basement. The nails and the hammer are there. And uh, he said, what, I can't see. Do you want me to fall down the stairs and end up breaking my leg as well? And he says, well, they're there and I want you to do it. I want by the time I get back tonight, I want to see that the shutters are up. So throughout that day, he kind of laboriously found the the, the tools and the shutters and went around the house and at tea time, he'd finished and he walked into the kitchen. And he discovered that at no point throughout that day had his father been further than six feet away from him. He had been there, looking, waiting. But he knew that his son had to go through that experience where he broke out of that depression. And that's what changed them. And throughout the 400 years for the Jewish nation and for the world, God was waiting for the appropriate time for him to step in. But he was not distant, and he was not silent. And for those who had ears to hear, they knew that God one day would step in. And in your situation, whatever your situation is in your life, no matter whether you feel as if God hasn't spoken and He seems to be so far away at times, I want to assure you that at those times He is likely closer than breathing, closer than your best friend. And so Jesus steps into time. The, the author, S. Dor- Dorothy Sayers, says, the people who hang Christ never accused Him of being a bore. On the contrary, they thought Him too dynamic to be saved. It has been left for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with the atmosphere of tedium. We have very efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. To those who knew him, however... He in no way suggested a milk and water person. They objected to him as a dangerous firebrand. And this firebrand was stepping into human history. And we tame him sometimes. I'm not saying always. Christmas is great. And sometimes people say, oh, you can't have Christmas without Easter. And that's true. But Christmas is brilliant as well. But on the other hand, Jesus steps in to make a difference and to start a revolution. And so as we see him described in this passage by Isaiah in chapter 9, reading from verse 2 to 7, we see that, first of all, there is wonder in his name. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So when he was born, they were filled with wonder. His life was when, they, when they saw him walking among the crowds and then reaching out and healing the sick, reaching out and raising the dead, they were filled with wonder. When he died on the cross, people sank back in horror. And in wonder, how, how, how could this be? This was the one that we had followed for three years. This was the one that was going to change the world. This was the one that was going to start the revolution. But of course, they were thinking in political terms and the Romans and this, that, and the next thing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, so their wonder and the mystery and the seeming paradox and the seeming contradiction caused wonder. And there is wonder in his name, even as he hangs on the cross, and then when Mary um, goes to the tomb on Easter morning and, and, and is shocked to find it empty and heartbroken, and she speaks to the gardener, thinking he was Jesus, in one sense he was the gardener, if you know what I mean. If you look at John's gospel in the early chapters, you see echoes Of the Garden of Eden, you see echoes of the the, the creation of the world. And all of a sudden, the gardener is standing there, and all he does is speak her name, Mary. And she responds with Rabboni. Master. And so, her, her heart was filled with wonder. There is wonder in his name. And then when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I love that Um, uh, that passage in is it Matthew I think it is where it says they worshipped him but some doubted but they were still the ones that went and were sent and were commissioned. He didn't write them off and as we come together today some of us we worship and our hearts are filled but maybe some of us doubt and you might say to me Andy you don't know what I'm going through you don't know what's happening in my marriage. You don't know what's happening in my family. You don't know what's happening in my body, in my health. You don't know what's happening in in my job situation. And I want to suggest to you that in the midst of all of that, the mixture, the mess of life, because it's always pretty messy, isn't it? You come across these people who have perfect Christian families. You ever come across them? Um, And and I always think, oh, goodness me, where did I, where was I in the queue? Why? You know, sometimes your family goes through ups and downs, and, and you think, but, but God is in the midst of the messiness of life. There is wonder in his name. But it's not just looking at a distance or back 2,000 years, because he's a wonderful counselor. So that means that in our brokenness, in our need, in our emptiness, in our desperation, He comes to us, and he's available. You go to a counselor, you'll have to, I don't know, book six months in advance, maybe, and you'll have to pay them. I don't know, 100 pounds or 50 pounds. A session, if you go to a counselor, was it Woody Allen that said, I had to spend $25,000 on on therapy. He thought for a minute, he says, if I would had the 25,000 pounds in the first place, I wouldn't have needed therapy in the first place. But you come to the, the, the creator of the world and he's the wonderful counselor. He comes to you. And it's almost embarrassing how little we go to him for his counsel. Because we make it our own, on our own. We think we can sort ourselves out ourselves. And, 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 and God says, no, no. I want to be your wonderful counselor. I will give you my undivided attention. I will come and I will be your comforter. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. The one who comes along, he's an advocate. He's the one who comes alongside, he empowers us, but he also comes in comforts, which has the idea of strengthening. That's what the word comfort means. It's not just a sentimental thing. It's when God comes alongside and gives you a strength that you would not naturally have in your situation as you trust him, as you reach out to him and he he, he says, "I, I will come and I will comfort you. And he enables you and he guides you. Famous actor, actor, Alec Guinness, who I think has died. Uh, some of you might know him as that, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but he, he struggled. He, he had a long journey from a, a confirmed atheist to faith in Christ. And there was one occasion when he was walking down a street in London. And this is what he says in his biography, his autobiography. I was walking up Kingsway in the middle of an afternoon when an impulse compelled me to start running. With joy in my heart and in a state of almost sexual excitement, I ran until I reached the little Catholic church there, which I had never entered before. I, before. I knelt, caught my breath, and for ten minutes was lost to the world, lost in wonder. He had, he had made that journey. Um, he had started his journey when he was doing the G.K. Chesterton uh, series of films or television But Father, and I want to say Father Ted, and I can't get Ted out of my mind, but Father Brown, that's right. And he started his journey, and eventually, but the key for him was when his son contracted polio, his son Matthew. I didn't believe in God, but you know, it's amazing uh, what disaster and pain will make our hearts do when we think there is no God. That's when we think, well, maybe there is. In fact, I hope there's, and he got down on his knees, and he made a a bargain with God. It's a kind of negative, but I don't recommend this, but it worked for him anyway. And he said, if you will answer my prayer for my son, I will never prevent him from following you. He wasn't saying, I will follow you. He wasn't willing to go that far, but he was willing to say, I won't stop my son from following you. I don't know how long it took. Was it weeks? Was Was it months? I don't know, but... Gradually, his son could walk, and then his son could run, and then his son was healed. And this confirmed atheist was was his life was turned over with wonder at the miracle that God had worked in his life. Now, I'm not saying to you that your life will then suddenly have a miracle tomorrow morning. Um, There are times in my life when I've prayed about situations, perhaps in my family, perhaps other situations. My wife's better at praying than I am. Uh, I tend to give up if I'm not answered within a couple of weeks, but she'll continually bring me back to saying, no, Andy, we've got to pray. And the amazing thing is that it feels like nothing's happening, but as you look back, you say, wait a minute, that's what we prayed for. That happened then. And that's exactly what we were. Now, it's not immediate. It's not perhaps like Alec Guinness, but as we come to him, there is wonder in his name. But we find also in this passage that there is power in his name. He was we called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Mighty God. There is power in his name. Jesus, we're told in, this, in, the, in the gospel, was given all power and all authority, all authority, all power has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So the one who was born in Bethlehem, actually his power was demonstrated in his self-emptying and his embracing of weakness. Sometimes the greatest power is demonstrated in the choice not to use it. Sometimes people who are insecure use their power and their authority to put people in their place. You've maybe come across people like that. It's out of insecurity. But true power doesn't have to display itself. And here's Jesus, this tiny little baby, this vulnerable child in the hands of a teenage mother being raised and taught and going to school with other kids and all of that stuff was part of the incarnation. There is power in his name because primarily at Christmas it's demonstrated in his self-emptying, in his letting go of his rights as God, of his divine attributes and his ability, uh, his his omniscience, omnipotence, and all of that stuff that he had as God, he lets it go. And that's actually a demonstration of power to be willing to not need all of that stuff to prove who he was. He simply became a tiny baby. And so he comes as the one who is all powerful. Oswald Chambers said, We marvel not that he performed miracles, but rather that he performed so few. He who could have stormed the citadels of men with mighty battalions of angels, let men spit upon him and crucify him. He's saying the same thing in self-emptying, in the power that did not need to demonstrate itself. Why? Because the power of love was there, demonstrated to broken humanity. And so when you say to me, but Andy, it's impossible, Jesus' words come back and say, all things are possible. When you say, sorry, I'm too tired, I can't go on any longer, the words come back, I will give you rest, the one who is all-powerful. When you say to me, well, I don't feel loved, I feel alone, Jesus' words come back and say, I love you. When I hear you say, I can't go on, I hear the words of Scripture coming back, my grace is sufficient for you. When I hear you say, I can't figure things out in my life, Andy, I hear the voice of God saying, I will direct your steps. When I hear you say, I'm not able, I hear the voice of Scripture come back and say, I I'm able, and so on. That again and again and again, as we find our own weakness and as we are ready to give up, the Christ child once more, as he grew up and taught, as Jesus, the, the Son of God, the Messiah, and as he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and as he sent the power of the Spirit upon the church, I hear that there is power in his name. Mighty God mighty God. And I'm reminded of Caleb. I was hearing our brothers, 80 years old. Caleb at the age of 80. Do you remember what he said when they were about to enter into the promised land? He'd hung on to the promise of God for 40 years through the disobedience in the wilderness, through the, 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 the testing, through the unbelief and lack of faithfulness of the people of God. He hung on to that promise. And as, a, as a, a, a young man, I would imagine, he saw the golden calf and the, the nation gathering around it and, and prostituted themselves before the idols, he would, that would go with him. But through the years of darkness in the wilderness, he was thinking, I know what God's promised me. And I'm still believing it. And what he said was, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Why? Because he connected with the one who had power in his name. And he said, give me this. And I remember it, mountain. Give me this mountain. That's what he'd been promised in in the promised land. And at the age of 80, or was it 85, I always forget, He's ready. He says, I'm still as strong. And he went for the part of the land that had the biggest giants and the highest hills. Why? Because he was trusting in the one who had power in his name. And some of us, we feel uh, weak and we feel impotent at times. And we think, how could God use me? I remember hearing John Drain um, speaking about how he went to psychic fairs, to preach the gospel. And he used to set up a stall and talk to the New Agers about Jesus. And he did, he had various creative things that he used to do. And he was speaking at a church one day and uh, um, telling people how he did this. And one elderly lady came up to him after the service and said, John, I'd love to do something like that. Can you help me? What, where should I start? And he said, well, I, I would suggest that you go and speak to your, your elders and uh, just see if they can find a place for you to serve, and maybe they could support you. And so she went to her elders, and they said, Well, they thought for a moment and said, Well, how about if you started with serving the tea after the evening service? Oh, she was a woman, and she was likely my age, maybe not as old as me. And so they patronized. Well, how can God use her? And so she thought, no, I I was thinking of more. Not that there's anything wrong with serving tea or coffee, by the way. If there are any coffee people here today, I'm not in any way demeaning that. But all I'm saying is she was looking for something that was going to stretch her faith. Um, And so she said, right, okay. Psychic Fair coming to our town. I'll go and set up a stall and offer free prayer for people. And so she did that. She booked a place and as the, the psychic fair was about to start, the organizer came to her and said, do you think you could start praying for people now? Because the queue for free, free, free prayer is so long it's blocking the door in, we need to get it going. And so for the whole day, she prayed a blessing upon people, a blessing, praying for Christ to, to guide them, Christ for, to, to bless them. Now, okay, she wasn't preaching the gospel but I wonder if in our culture, we're, we're more likely to get an ear if we offer to pray for God's blessing upon people as a way into understanding and helping them understand what it, what it means. And so she was overwhelmed. God used her, even though people in the church couldn't see how God could use her, because my goodness, she was too old and, you know, etc., etc. And so she now seemingly, I don't know whether she still does, but for a number of years, she organized an army of older ladies who went to psychic fairs to pray for people. That's why. Why? Because she believed that she was serving a mighty God. And so whatever the challenge to you is, maybe um, you need to reconnect with the one who is is mighty. But also there's healing in his name. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Now I was trying to think, what what uh, It's not strictly speaking about healing, but in our broken world where families often break down and people struggle with the whole idea of of a father who loves them. Remember in my first church in in Granton Baptist Church, we had a number of young women who came uh, one by one, not all together. um, And as we talked to them about the gospel and as we explained to them that they were loved by God, I sometimes noticed that as I spoke, and even when I was preaching, as I spoke about God being our Father, I could see them wince. And as I spoke to them and prayed with them, I discovered that actually healing for them needs to start with them understanding that God is a loving, heavenly Father who will not beat them who will not leave them when their when young kids vulnerable, who will not walk out on them, who will not come back on a Saturday night the worse for drink to the extent that they have to lie under their beds shaking in case dad finds them once more. And, and so therefore, when we think of God as our everlasting father, it's the most wonderful healing thing ever. That's why one of the most powerful popular stories that Jesus tells to describe God is the parable of the prodigal son. And you'll see how the loving father actually stands waiting for the son to return, but when he sees him in the distance, he runs. And in Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, a, a patriarchal Character, a a father, an authority figure in a Jewish family, would never run to the end of the road. The best he would have done would be to wait for his son to come back, because it meant that he would have to lift up his robes and tuck them in and run. It was highly undignified as he ran through the streets of his town because he sees the prodigal in the distance and he takes him in his arms and he takes him back and he throws a party. Why? because he's the everlasting father. And some of us may even struggle with that. Maybe you've had a distant father. You're not quite sure whether you're loved or not. One day he seems to be affectionate, other times he's not. Maybe there was no father in your home. But what God wants to do in your life, if he's not already, and it may be that many of you will say, "Hey, Andy, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's wonderful to know God as my everlasting father. He will never, ever let me go. Never let me down. Bruce Springsteen spoke about his own father who was distant and angry. And he said this in a, an interview in... Uh, where am I? Ah, oh, there I am. In, in New York Times, I think it was in, he said... uh, He said that his relationship with his father lives on in his songs. He says, the songs are a way of talking to his silent and distant father. And Springsteen admitted his yearning for what he called, and then he shouted, Daddy! Unashamedly in this interview, Daddy! He says, that's what I'm after, He said, my parents' struggles, it's the subject of my life, it's the thing that eats at me and always will. Those wounds stay with you and you turn them into a language and a purpose. He says that's the energy that drives his music and his songwriting, the desperation for a father that will unconditionally love him. And God coming into human history at Bethlehem is assuring us of a father who will never ever let us go. He will lead us all the way through to the end of the journey and into glory. Hallelujah. The most wonderful thing, everlasting Father, and very briefly, the last thing we're told by Isaiah is that there is peace in his name. He is Prince of Peace. He came to give us rest. Come to me and all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. There's peace with God and there's the peace of God that he gives. And of course, peace is not just, you know, like these. I like these kind of, uh, when you see videos of landscapes and so on, and you get gentle music in the background. I find them quite peaceful. But there are times when, Peace needs to be far deeper than that. And of course, as we come to communion later on in our service, the peace that God gives is the peace from God and of God. The peace that God Himself gives comes as a result of our relationship with Him being mended and healed. That's why Jesus came into this world. It's not just the peacefulness that comes but it's the peace in the midst of tribulation. He's the prince of peace. Now, some of you, quite rightly, might say, where's the peace? There's the promise 2,000 years ago, but where, what's happening? You know, we, we, we go through world wars, and we think we've learned, but then all of a sudden, it happens again. We've seen in our news in this past week the, the, um, the, the leader of Myanmar who... Um, The equivalent of a prime minister who had been given uh, the Nobel Peace Prize is now in court being accused of genocide and having to give account of her actions with the seeming ethnic cleansing of people in Myanmar. The people that we look to as our leaders, that we think will somehow produce peace, again and again and again will let us down. Not so. Jesus. Because he is the Prince of Peace. And he calls us to work for his kingdom because he doesn't just do it magically from heaven, but he commissions us to be his agents. So it's our words. He he has no mouth but ours as we speak peace into people's lives. He has no hands but ours to build his kingdom. And it's happening. It's happening. One day he will return. But He wants us to in the meantime be involved in the building of his kingdom. As we come to this communion later on, we'll be remembering that God has dealt with our sin and our rebellion and our distance and our brokenness through the cross of Jesus. Some of you may have read um, books by Brennan Manning, Roman Catholic priest and author. And When he was uh, a young kid in New York, um, he had a friend called Ray, and they used to play together at school. And then they grew up and they would play in the streets and they started dating together, the girls and so on. And eventually they went into the army together. I think they were fighting in the Korean War. And there was one occasion when they were sitting in a house and a hand grenade was thrown through the window. And Brennan and Ray were sitting there. And without a breath, Ray looked up at his friend, smiled, and threw himself on top of the, on top of the grenade and instantly was killed. And he, he laid down his life for his friend. And after the war and when Brennan Manning was about to, to train for the, the priesthood, he, he went to visit uh, Ray's mother and at one point in the conversation, he, he said, I, I don't know, I, 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 I love Ray so much, but I, I hope that he appreciated me and loved me as much as I loved him. And Ray's mother stood up and said, it looked at him and he said, How much more could he have done to demonstrate his love for you? And in fact, Brennan Manning had to choose the name of a saint as he went into the priesthood. And it would likely be Paul or Peter or whoever, Stephen. He chose Ray Brennan's name. That was his friend, because as far as he was concerned, he was the one who showed the ultimate sacrifice. And when this, uh, this, his mother said, what more could he have done? It's almost as if Ray Brennan had a kind of apparition, not an apparition, an epiphany. And it's almost as if he stood at the cross and he imagined Mary looking at him and saying, what more could my son have done for you to demonstrate his love? There is wonder in his name, there's power, there is healing, and there is peace in his name. And as we come to this table, and as we take this bread, and as we give thanks and we break it, we are saying, his body was broken to make us whole and to give us peace that only he can give. Not just a nice peaceful feeling, but in the midst of the depths of the, I've, some of the stuff that I've described that may be going on in your life. In the midst of that, we find that there is a peace that comes from the fact that we are his children and he loves us unconditionally. There is wonder in his name there is power in his name, there is healing in his name, there is peace in his name. And let's pray and just ask that we might experience all that he has done for us once more at this Christmas time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you that we can remind ourselves of the bedrock truths of the Christian faith. We thank you for the wonder, the amazing fact that you stepped into history in the person of Jesus. We celebrate it once more this year. And we ask that you would fill us with wonder as we think of what you've done. We ask that you would fill us with power as we seek to communicate what you have done. We ask that you would heal us in the deepest parts of our life, at those places where there is emptiness and there is darkness and there is struggle. We ask, everlasting Father, that you would assure us of your love. But we thank you Most of all, Father, and Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, mighty Trinity, we thank you that you have made us right with you, and our relationship is mended and healed, and we are part of your family, and we look forward to that wonderful kingdom that will one day come, a kingdom demonstrated by justice, righteousness, and peace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.